Now, why do we have trials and troubles along this journey called life? It would have been easier for David to go straight from the sheepfold to the throne and bypass the battle with Goliath or the threat on his life from Saul. It would have been easier for the Apostle Paul had he not had to endure shipwreck and stoning and imprisonment. It would have been easier for the children of Israel to avoid that 40-year detour in the desert. And wouldn't it be easier for us if God just ushered us right on into heaven once we accepted Jesus? So why is it that our life is filled with all these hardships? Welcome to the weekly podcast of Independent Methodist Church in Macon, Mississippi. It is our hope that this message will encourage you, strengthen your faith, and draw you closer to Jesus Christ. The title of the message today is Understanding the Journey. I've got a question for you. Have things in your life always turned out the way you expected? Smooth sailing, no problems, no grief, no hardship, no death, no financial problems. I could probably say with 100% certainty the answer to every one of the, that question for every one of us is an emphatic no. Life is full of trouble. If you say you've not had any hardship, then you're either one of two things. You're either lying or you haven't lived very long. Just keep living. Trouble will find you. Trouble will find us. You just keep living. Hardship will find you in some way. We've all faced different trials in life. It doesn't matter what your age is, whether your age is 9 or 59 or 99. We've all had some type of unexpected curve thrown at us. Life has a funny way of doing that. Troubles will come. In fact, Jesus said in the 16th chapter of John, He told His disciples in verse 33 of that chapter, in this world you will have trouble. Now, He didn't say you might have trouble. He said, in this world, you will have trouble. But the good thing about what he said right after that, he says, take heart, for I have overcome the world. So our Lord told us that troubles would come. Now, why do we have trials and troubles along this journey called life? It would have been easier for David to go straight from the sheepfold to the throne and bypass the battle with Goliath or the threat on his life from Saul. It would have been easier for the Apostle Paul had he not had to endure shipwreck and stoning and imprisonment. It would have been easier for the children of Israel to avoid that 40-year detour in the desert. And wouldn't it be easier for us if God just ushered us right on into heaven once we accepted Jesus? So why is it that our life is filled with all these hardships? So this morning we're going to look, we're going to answer these questions in Deuteronomy chapter 8 where Moses gave some advice to the children of Israel. And there's some advice and instruction that we can apply to our own lives as well as we seek to understand the journey that we're on. Let's read together starting in verse 1 of chapter 8. And we're going to read the 20 verses that make up that chapter. Deuteronomy chapter 8 starting in verse 1. Be careful to follow every command I'm giving you today. So that you may live and increase and may enter and possess the land that the Lord promised on oath to your forefathers. Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the desert these 40 years 
to humble you and to test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. He humbled you, causing you to hunger and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your fathers had known, to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Your clothes did not wear out, and your feet did not swell during these forty years. Know then in your heart that as a man disciplines his son, so the Lord your God disciplines you. Observe the commands of the Lord your God, walking in his ways and revering him. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land with streams and pools of water, with springs flowing in the valleys and hills, a land with wheat and barley, vines and fig trees, pomegranates, olive oil, and honey, a land where bread will not be scarce and you will lack nothing, a land where the rocks are iron and you can dig copper out of the hills. When you have eaten and are satisfied, praise the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. Be careful that you do not forget the Lord your God, failing to observe his commands, his laws, and his decrees that I am giving you this day. Otherwise, when you eat and are satisfied, when you build fine houses and settle down, and when your herds and flocks grow large and your silver and gold increase and all you have is multiplied, then your heart will become proud and you will forget the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. He led you through that vast and dreadful desert, that thirsty and waterless land with its venomous snakes and scorpions. He brought you water out of hard rock. He gave you manna to eat in the desert, something your fathers had never known, to humble and to test you so that in the end it might go well with you. You may say to yourself, my power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. But remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth and so confirms his covenant, which he swore to your forefathers as it is today. If you ever forget the Lord your God and follow other gods and worship and bow down to them, I testify against you today that you will surely be destroyed. Like the nations the Lord destroyed before you, so you will be destroyed for not obeying the Lord your God. Let's pray together. Father, we come to you this morning expecting you to speak to our hearts through your word, Lord. Hide me behind the cross, Lord. Give us the understanding for this passage that you want us to have. It's in Jesus' name we ask you. Amen. By way of a little background, you remember God had led the nation of Israel out of Egypt with a mighty hand. He led them out. He told Moses to, on the appointed night after the first nine plagues had happened, he told Moses that the tenth plague was going to happen. And so he told them on the appointed night to take the Passover lamb and to slaughter the lamb and paint the doorpost of all the houses with the blood of the lamb. And on the appointed night they did that and the angel of death moved through Egypt and all the firstborn died except those in the houses that had the blood painted over the doorpost. And after that final awful plague Pharaoh let the nation of Israel leave. In fact, Scripture says the Egyptians urged them to hurry and leave for otherwise they said we'll all die. That's in Exodus 12. After they left Egypt and they made their way to the Red Sea and Pharaoh's army was chasing them, God led them through on dry ground. And when they got to the other side on the other shore of the Red Sea, they stood safe and sound and they watched as the waters of judgment came back in and took Pharaoh and all his army and 
God took them and that torrent of water took their lives. As they continued on through the promised land or to the promised land, God provided for them water out of the rock. He provided manna from heaven for them to eat. He gave them the law. He gave them all the instructions about how to build the tabernacle, everything that they would need. And then they got to the edge of the promised land. They sent 12 spies out, you remember, and 10 came back with a negative report. Only two came back with a positive report, that being Caleb and uh, Joshua. But the nation listened to the bad report from the first 10, and they rebelled against God, and they refused to go in. So as a result, God turned them back into the desert. And he said in Numbers chapter 14, he told them, your bodies will fall in this wilderness. Every one of you 20 years old and older will die. You will not see the promised land. He said, as for your children that you said would be taken as plunder, I'll bring them in to enjoy the land you've rejected. But as for you, your bodies will fall in this wilderness. He said, I, the Lord, have spoken and I will surely do these things to this whole wicked community. So they returned back into the wilderness for 40 years until everyone 20 years and older had died. So this is an entirely new generation except for Joshua, Caleb, and Moses and all those under the age of 20 and then the children and grandchildren that would have been born during that 40-year time. Everyone who rejected the Lord died in the wilderness there. So God had told Moses as well that he would not be able to enter the promised land because of him striking the rock instead of speaking to the rock back then. And so this is Moses's. as he's in the sunset of his life, he knows that he's not going to be going in with them. This is his parting words, words of advice, words of encouragement, words of wisdom. As he instructs them, and the first thing he instructs them to do, and it's also the first thing that we need to remember as well, as we try to understand this journey called life. It's found in verse 2 there. We need to remember what God has done in our past. Verse 2 it says, Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the desert these 40 years. God had guided their steps. He had guided them by a pillar of cloud in the day. A pillar of fire at night. He had guided their steps. They weren't to move unless God told them to move, unless God moved before them. Now why did He lead them through this wilderness, through this hardship, through this terrible situation they were in? Why did He do that? There's three reasons He lists there in verse 2, in the second part of that verse. He says, Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the desert these 40 years to humble you and to test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep His commands. It says, He did it to humble them. You know, you and I face trials every day. Hardships that humble us. God can't teach us anything unless and until we're humble. James 4 and verse 6, God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. That's what it says in James 4 and verse 6. But we're proud. We think we have all the answers. We think we know how to do things. We do, our, do it our own way. But we need to be humble in order to be used by God for His glory. 
In 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 6, it says these words, Humble yourselves therefore under God's mighty hand that He may lift you up in due time. The second reason God brought them through this wilderness, not only to humble them, but to test them to see what was in their hearts, it says. Now, God knew their hearts. He knows our hearts. There's nothing new we're going to show Him. He knows our hearts. In Acts chapter 15, when Peter stood up and addressed the Pharisees, the Pharisees were questioning the fact that the Gentiles had gotten the Holy Spirit and had, been, had come to salvation and they thought they should be circumcised and do the things that the Jews did in order to be the family of God, be a part of that family. But Peter stood up and he told them, Brothers, you know that some time ago God made a choice among you that the Gentiles might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe. God who knows the heart showed that he accepted them by giving the Holy Spirit to them just as he did to us. And so God knows the heart. He knows our hearts. In John chapter 2, the Gospel of John chapter 2, we're told that Jesus didn't need any testimony about man, for he knew what was in a man's heart. The trials and tests that you and I endure show us what's in our own hearts. It doesn't tell God a thing. He already knows. But it proves to us, proves to ourselves what's in our hearts. So many times we try to act surprised. I can't believe I did that. Well, it was in your heart all along. So many times we try to hide from ourselves who we really are. But Jeremiah the prophet in chapter 17 and verse 9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? So God leads us through hardships and trials to help us realize how wretched we are and to test our faith. You know, Abraham was told to take Isaac up and sacrifice his one and only son. And he did that. And that was a test. Not for God to see what Abraham to do. He already knew what Abraham was going to do. But it was a test so that Abraham would see what Abraham would do. And so that Abraham would see his faith. And Abraham would see what was in his heart. And we're to take joy in those trials, as the scripture says. Take joy in those trials and hardships that we face. Because they test us. They help us to take the blinders off of our own eyes to help us see who we really are. James 1 says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. He led them through these hard times in the wilderness. He leads us through hardships and trials to humble us. Secondly, to test us. But the third thing he says there. To teach them. Look at verse 3. It says he humbled you causing you to hunger. And then feeding you with manna. Which neither you nor your fathers had known. To teach you that man does not live on bread alone. But on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. To teach them to rely solely on the Lord. For everything that they need. Most of us can look back. Over the course of our life. And see where God has led us through some tough times. He's guided our steps through the trials and adversities of life. And He does that so that we can learn to lean on Him. Learn to rely solely on Him. Most of us can think of a time when we tried to get ahead of God and do things our way. And it didn't end up too good. We made a mess of things. I was recalling a little cartoon in a magazine and it was a picture there of a man 
middle-aged man sitting on a curb, disheveled clothes, flies all around him, a stack of unpaid past due notices beside him on the thing and a half a bottle of booze beside him. And he had his chin resting in his hands and it had a little caption above it said, why couldn't all these problems come up when I was 17 and knew everything? We think we know everything. We think we know how to do it. But God wants to teach us. He allows us to endure hardship and difficulty in order to humble us, in order to test us, and in order to teach us to lean on Him. To teach us that His ways are the right ways. His ways are higher than our ways. And we need to remember what God has done in our past. But not only that, the second thing He tells them to do says they need to realize what God is doing for them in the present. Not only what God has done in the past, but we need to realize what God is doing in the here and now. Look again at verse 6. It says, Observe the commands of the Lord your God, walking in His ways and revering Him. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land. And he goes on to tell the characteristics of this land with water and barley and wheat fig trees and pomegranates and olive oil. It says a land where bread will not be scarce and you will lack nothing. What God has done in our past, all the correction and all the discipline and all the direction He's given us in the past, He continues to do even today. He continues to do it in the here and now because He loves us. Moses said to them to know, to observe says in verse 5, Know then in your heart that the Lord your God disciplines you. We need to know that. We need to realize that right now He's doing the same thing He's done in the past for us. Protecting us and correcting us and directing our steps. You know, what good does it do to discipline a child if it's not consistent and persistent? If you do it one time, it doesn't do a whole lot of good. It has to be consistent. When you're in school, you may have had a tough teacher, but let a substitute come in one day, and it was pandemonium in the classroom. We had a substitute bus driver one time riding the school bus, and the, the regular bus driver was, she was pretty strict. We'd ride from Brooksville to Macon, and she didn't let anything go. She was tough. We had a substitute driver one day. And about halfway to Macon, a food fight broke out. You can't make this up. This is true. A food fight broke out on the bus. And the substitute driver was not a disciplinarian. Everybody knew it. So those of us that were not involved in the food fight, all we could do was just try to keep from getting hit. Apples and bologna sandwiches flew through the air with ease. And all the bus driver did was look in that big rearview mirror and hold his finger up and wag it back and forth. Never said a word. I remember very distinctly one girl took her bologna sandwich apart and she flung it and it hit somebody in the face and just smeared down like that. But there was no discipline. And then we got to school and I think the only thing they had to do was clean the bus out. No discipline. And I remember it looking up there and watching and dodging sandwiches and apples and thinking, does he not even care what's going on? Does he not even care? But let me tell you, we don't have to worry about that with God. He's going to discipline us. He's going to make sure that he directs our steps. It was holy terror in that bus for about five minutes. 
And I wondered, does he even care? We don't have to worry about that with God. We need to realize that what he has done for us in the past, the discipline and the direction and the correction, he's still doing it now in the here and now in the future, in, 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 the, in, the, in the present tense. Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 4 says, My son, don't make light of the Lord's discipline and don't lose heart when he rebukes you because the Lord disciplines the one he loves. It says, God is treating you as his children. No, dis- no discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been tra- trained by it. You see, God was preparing the nation of Israel for the promised land, a land where it would, they said in verse 9, he says, you will lack nothing. And God is preparing us in the here and now for eternity with him, a land where we will lack nothing. He's doing that right now. Strength, he's doing all that, bringing us through these storms and hardships that we face in this journey called life. To strengthen our faith. To humble us. To test us. To teach us. To rely solely on Him. In James 1 we mentioned earlier. In verse 4 of that chapter. After it says consider it pure pure joy when you face trials of many kinds. It says let perseverance finish its work. So that you may be mature and complete. Not lacking anything. Not lacking anything. Moses Moses told the, the Israelites. Remember God. Remember what He's done for you in the past. How He humbled you. How He tested you. How He taught you to lean on Him. He told them to realize what God is doing for them in the present. To know what He's doing. To observe it. He leads them by His unchanging hand. That Him says, He leadeth me, He leadeth me. By His own hand, He leadeth me. And He leads us today in the here and now. Not only do we need to remember what he's done in the past and realize what he's doing in the present, we need to resolve to follow him in the future. Look at verse 10 there. It says, when you have eaten, this is in the future, when you have eaten and are satisfied, praise the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. Be careful not to forget him. Otherwise, when you eat and are satisfied and you build houses for yourself and settle down and when your herds and flocks grow large and your silver and gold increase and all you have is multiplied, then your heart will become proud and you'll forget the Lord who brought you out of Egypt. It's easy for us to cry out to God when we're going through some trial. It's easy for us to be earnest in our prayers and be completely devoted to Him when things are tough. But when we get through that storm, Sometimes it's so easy for us to start drifting away. Start forgetting God. In that light of a new day, we, we kind of look around and we realize all of a sudden we're not praying like we used to pray. We're not reading our Bible as often as we used to read it. We're not seeking opportunities to be with other Christians as often as we used to do it when things are going bad. As our health improves and our wealth increases, it's so easy when we begin to prosper, it's so easy to start saying, look what I've done. Look what I've gotten. But Moses warned them, don't forget the Lord. Don't forget what He's done to bring you through the wilderness. Don't take credit for what He's doing. We need to resolve to follow Him. We need to have that same resolve that we did to follow Him when we were in the middle of that storm. When He was bringing Him through. 
We need to be leaning on his everlasting arms, whether we're in the valley of despair or whether we're on the mountaintop of victory. Are you leaning in his arms today? Somebody once said there are three classes of people, those who are going into a storm, those who have just come out of a storm, or those who are on the mountaintop. Where are you today? Maybe you find yourself in this, this morning and you're just coming out of a trial and it's been tough. And you look in that rearview mirror and you see where God brought you through. Give Him the praise for that. Remember where you came from. Maybe you're getting ready to go into a storm. Maybe right now you're in the middle of one. You realize that God is helping you along the way. He'll be there for you. You reach out and take Him by the hand. Maybe things for you are going great. Your family's great. Business is great. Everything's good. Your health is good. You need to resolve to give Him the glory. Resolve to follow Him just the same way you did when things weren't going so good. That's what we need to do. Would you do that this morning? Maybe you've never come to trust Him as Lord. And He's reaching out to you this morning, speaking to your heart. Softly and tenderly, the hymn that we'll sing in just a minute says, Jesus is calling. Calling for you and for me. How will you respond today to his calling? Let's pray. Father, we're grateful that through the journey of life, that you lead us by the hand. You help us get through those tough times. Help us to remember the past where you have helped us get through some rough times. Help us to realize that you do the same thing for us in the present time. That you lead us by your own hand. You guide us through those trials. And Father, because of the, the past and because of the present, Lord, help us to look to the future and have the confidence to know that you are leading us and will be there for us, directing us and correcting us and protecting us. Father, help us to rest in the peace of knowing that. It's in Jesus' name we ask it. Amen.